Stone. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. This week, we're down in Devon at Plymouth's Marjon University, where I've somewhat reluctantly agreed to undergo a series of tests to discover whether or not someone of advancing years like myself is both physically and mentally fit enough to ski to the South Pole and beyond. Now, the daily summer temperature down there at the bottom of the earth during our winter up here north hovers in the high minus 20s Celsius. Well, I can tell you right now that after a long shivering session in the uni's environmental stability chamber, well, what I'd call an industrial freezer, that thankfully age has a few advantages. I'm nowhere near being in good enough shape to follow in the footsteps of Scott and Amundsen. Anyway, for me, it would be a thoroughly unpleasant way to spend Christmas. However, I was sharing the fridge with former Royal Marine Sam Cox, who was embarking on a gruelling record attempt to ski nearly 2,000 kilometres alone across Antarctica for at least 75 days. He plans to plod across the ice while pulling a sled weighing an incredible 160 kilos. The idea was to do a series of physical and mental tests to see how we both performed, firstly in the warmth of the university gym, and then later in extreme curl conditions. The first test involved riding a treadmill while wired up to heart and breathing monitors. To simulate the effort required to pull the sled across the ice, we wore a seven kilo harness each, with the mill set to a steep incline. For the second test, we had to unpack and assemble the ten components of a primus stove and then repack them. Sounds simple. You try it with frozen fingers. Before we got going, I asked Sam what made him undertake this extraordinary project in the first place. So this was born of, of lockdown boredom. I'd been away with the military. I was, um, I've just left the military and I've been away for a couple of months when Covid was just bubbling in the background and then we got pulled off this big exercise and I've been really busy so I went from being really busy straight into UK lockdown to then needing something after I'd finished watching telly, every programme under the sun. So, <laughs> yeah, it came from that and then went back to work uh, for a few more months and the second lockdown came and I decided that this project was going to become an actual thing rather than just a background activity that I was looking into. So, yeah, once I told a few people, I'd committed then and started properly doing the planning. So it's been, by the time I finish, it'll be coming up four years from the um, and I just didn't get a sponsorship, unfortunately. However, I th- think it's sort of a blessing in disguise, actually worked on a lot a few a few other things that are rushing through actually i'm probably better now than i would have been had i gone last year i was more definitely more prepared is there anything you're nervous about uh not not really i don't think it's really my nature to be nervous i don't really sweat over small stuff or or worry about things overly i I just try and get on with it and i'm comfortable in my own capabilities and comfortable in in what i can achieve and it's it's the only thing i'm nervous i'd say would probably be the the conditions, that's the one thing I can't control and it's one thing that can hugely impact the speed I go at, which will hugely impact the, the outcome of the expedition. So, for example, the year just gone, really bad conditions and guys were really struggling to make sort of 15, 20 kilometres a day. So I need to make, on average, about 25 or 26, give or take, to be done in a 75-day days that I want to do it in. Whereas previous years, I mean, a couple of years ago, they ended up 
people are doing 30 kilometers a day quite happily without any real issue um and it's that's purely down to conditions presumably there's something in the late afternoon you're going to think should i push on for another couple of clicks or should i stop yeah is that famous um things in there where if scott had continued for another i think it's 11 steps he is quoted as if 11 another 11 steps every day he would have made it back uh, without running out of food so it's one of those that i've got timings in my head but if i'm if i'm doing really well and i'm moving really well I'll quietly push for another hour because it's, you know, extra four or five K here and there will save an extra day off the ends. And same with the other way around. If I'm not feeling great, do I continue pushing? Because every time I, I stop early, it means I've then got to go even further the following day and overall. I want to do it in 75. Ideally, I'd want to do it under 75. So Sam, we're standing in the cold chamber and it's uh, just a mere minus 18 degrees at yeah, the moment. Yeah, just over, yeah, or under. That sounds like a warm day uh, in the Antarctic. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be around about this most days, I think, give or take. Um, gets colder as you get closer to the pole because you go up in elevation, so it, it moves more towards minus 30. Minus 30 is sort of the, the highest, lowest temperature you'll reach. Uh, yeah, so that's sort of the summer temperature being summer in Antarctica, obviously yeah. southern, southern hemisphere. So that'll be the, the colder side of it. And then you have wind chill on top, which can really whip up temperatures. I sort of visualise Antarctica being flat ice, but it's by no means always flat, is it? No, so it's in terms of like grand scheme of things, it's relatively flat. But then what happens, uh, it doesn't snow down there. It's actually a desert Antarctica. So you get a lot of ice crystals and dunes that build up through the wind. So it's really fine, sandy snow ice crystals that build up into ridges that can be about two meters tall in some places. So that, you end up trying to get over those with 160 kilos being dragged over behind you. Can, so. can you do it? How do you shift to, you obviously practice, but moving that's <laughs> like, like moving over a five bar gate or something yeah so you can go around them and again they're not like dead upright they're, they're sort of mini sand dunes is probably the best thing or moguls is in terms of alpine skiing um so you either go around them or find a small bit or they have little collapsed bits and stuff so they're they're, they're navigable but they do slow movement relatively uh badly knowing nothing about uh antarctic exploring there's no risk of going through the ice it's a solid ice cap you're on yeah, so there's a few sections on, there's a couple of crevasses I have to, one I have to go up and one I have to come back down. So there's a few crevasse fields that I'll be navigating around. But the ice cap at the South Pole is about 2,800 metres thick. Okay, that'll so do. It's, yeah, it's, it's solid. And if I'm going through that, then yeah, I'm, I'm not coming back out. So, but but that, that doesn't happen. So. And if you meet a polar bear, something's gone very wrong indeed, isn't well, it? Yeah, I hope not. I'd have a couple of friendly penguins with the polar bear down there. Either I'm lost or he's lost. So. <laughs> But there are no mammals. Am I right in thinking there are no mammals? No, so you have, um, I think, penguins, seals and whales are sort of the only native animals and birds to Antarctica. They're all around the coast. And then the central parts, there's not even bacteria that grows. So, like I said, it is a desert, so it's completely devoid of, of life par the research stations that are dotted around. And obviously you're carrying all this stuff and obviously not leaving any litter. How do you, Matt, you're still going to have the same weight at the end you put anything with you are you so so foods oh, i've got about 1.4 kilos per day worth of foods i can leave human waste behind that's okay is it? it's organic waste and then the the final degree so the final 110 kilometers it's a scientific area so you bag everything up and bring it and then take it to the end so there's there's 220 kilometers where i'll have to bag everything but then apart from that I can... but in the middle you can uh, leave your poo behind uh, so I have to take it with me, but um, this, before I get to the final degree, the last degree, I can leave it in situ. It's a big place, so hopefully no one stands in it. 
So every evening I'll, I have to check in anyway for safety um, and then the guys on the other end of the radio will give me a weather report just, you know, if there's a big storm coming in, they can let me know. Um, and then I suppose the mental aspects are the one thing you can't really train for. So do you have music with you? I will do. I don't want to rely on it though. For me, I, I want to use it as a bit of a motivator rather than the norm. I know a few people have lost headphones or broken headphones and then they have the one thing that they like to do breaks completely and then they don't have that. It's all daylight, so there's no night time. So... Um, like I said, I'll, I'll do 12 hours and try and keep relatively regimented with, with keeping a 24-hour day. And what about keeping warm? That's going to be hard. Is it? The hardest bit is to keep warm all the time. Yeah, so when you're, when you're moving, I'm stood still in that minus 18 cold chamber, so my fingers are starting to get a bit tingly, and I'm sure yours are now without a glove well, on. But I've got a glove on. Holding the yeah, there you go, so. even worse. Um, but once you're moving, you're, it's, it's relatively easy to keep warm, and then I've got small mid layers I can add, and then I've got a couple of big jackets for when I stop. And then once you're in a tent, because there's 100... Um, sorry, 24-hour daylight, the tent actually warms up quite nicely, so relatively warm, so plus five, plus ten oh, in the tent. Yeah. So it means you can be in a jumper rather than in thick, thick yeah. woolen stuff, um, which is quite handy to dry things out. Yeah. And uh, you will get wet, I mean, you get presumably from moisture in the area, or it's very dry? Well, yeah? it's really dry, um, so I shouldn't be getting wet. The only way I'll get wet is either I, I spill something on me or I'm sweating, and I'm going to try and stay away from sweating, so that then freezes to you and that's how you end up with frost nip or frostbite of certain areas and um, the idea is to sort of work at a level where you're working yeah. hard but not so hard you're sweating. And what about if the worst comes to the worst and you have a problem, a serious problem, is, is it possible to evacuate from somewhere in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, so the the support team, that um, the ones I speak to every day, they, they have the ability to get out to you but obviously that's weather dependent and location dependent. If I'm in quite a tricky area to get to or take them several days to get to me if it's bad weather they have to wait till the weather clears off so it's relatively easy for them to get to me but again it's, it's situation and condition dependent yeah. so how close is the nearest human being going to be to you oh tough to say well there's a research station at the pole so probably the the furthest i'll be from anyone would be about 700 kilometers which is sort of the longest leg from where i start to to the pole so yeah 700 800 kilometers ish there are very few places on Earth where you can actually be that alone. Yeah, so I think the, the famous thing that Ocean Rose says, the closest people to them are the guys in the, in the space station flying around. So I'm not that far away from people, but it's still, um, yeah, still a long way. <laughs> oh no, it's time for the primer stove test. They're really good. Oh my love. Well thank you guys, it's really good. Are you feeling cold now? Yes. And you're looking like you're shivering a bit now. Yeah, just a little bit cold. Have you ever been this cold before? No, can't say I have. It's crunch time. I asked Joe how I did overall. Well, not not the best, I'm afraid. Um, you know, I think one of the one of the tellers really was from the outset was uh, the the task on the treadmill. Uh, you know, as soon as we popped that additional weight on, uh, you know, physically that was quite challenging. Um, you know, so I think in comparison with Sam, uh, where he, you know, more or less had you know not much of a change in energy expenditure. Uh, you know, because he he's quite used to that sort of load carriage. Uh, you're, you're, you're saying very politely that I may be just a little bit part of it. No, I don't think it's, I don't think we can say you're past it, but I think you're not there at the moment. 
Uh, so maybe a bit of work to be done, and then you can get back to there. Uh, yeah, hasn't got long though to do that in. Well, that's fine. And then you know, and then obviously when we're in the chamber, uh, you know, we could feel the cold. Um, you know, and, and you know that task in itself, just trying to put the the transia together. Um, you know, in in the um, you know in in the lab in the normal environment, you know where you're comfortable, you're fine. You can focus solely on just putting that transit together. Uh, but when you're sat in front of the fan in a, in a minus twenty degree environment, where you're cold and you think I need to do this quickly, that's when your mind starts to wander off to other things about the discomfort, about the loneliness, and whatever. And the ability to do that simple task just kind of goes out the window, which which you saw yourself as well. So, you know. what's the ideal sort of weight and age for someone to do something? Uh, something like walk across the Antarctic. Oh, a good question. I think that you know it, it's a difficult one to answer that really because we know that you know young people have got you know high levels of aerobic fitness and you know uh, but they don't necessarily have the stamina and, and the mental resilience to undertake a task like this. As as people develop that mental resilience, they they start to lose the physical fitness. Um, so, it's so, so it's a fine balance, I would say. And somewhere in your thirties might be the more ideal time. Well, I think probably somebody like Sam, who is you know in a good physical prime, but uh, has a lot of experience with uh, you know his military background and you know has been in that environment before and he knows how to deal with the challenges so I wouldn't say that, that there's a necessary age uh, but I think it's about the, the elements of preparation that are, that are key How much training does Sam do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think he, he, he probably trains most days a week, but um, my understanding is the work that he's been doing has been working at a, a lower intensity and uh, looking at that, that duration. Because um, presumably there's a question of stability that you're, you're reaching the same level, you're using, burning up the same number of calories, going at the same speed, your heart's remaining much the same. Yeah, so... As, as the fitness improves and fitness develops, one of the things that changes is your ability, you increase your ability to burn fats. Uh, you become more efficient at transporting oxygen around the body. You can uh, essentially can conserve that carbohydrate availability. And that's one of the things that we were testing on the, on the treadmill. Uh, we found that when Sam got onto the treadmill, uh, we put that additional load on. Um, his increase in carbohydrate utilization didn't change by much. I think it was a, a, maybe a 10% increase. In my case, uh, a lot. Whereas you, I think you were up to about 40% increase. Mm -hmm. uh, so considerable shift towards carbohydrate. And if you think about you know, somebody doing a marathon, uh, they talk about hitting the wall. Uh, and that hitting the wall is really when they get to that carbohydrate depletion. Uh, you know, we've normally got at that sort of intensity about 90 minutes worth of carbohydrate availability. Um, and unfortunately, because of the intensity, you, you stepped into that. You'd be hitting the wall quite quickly. Like about in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. So if someone wants to come and do this and come and train and um, see what the conditions are like... Can they do that? Can someone yeah, just yeah. book? Yeah, we've got a great facility here. Uh, it's open to the public. We've got sports science support services. Uh, we've got clinics next door where we can look at prehabilitation, rehab. Um, you know, sort of, uh, we can do the fitness testing. Uh, we can look at aerobic capacity, body composition, undertake health so checks. As, as a doctor, how did you get into this? Uh, well, initially I started off, uh, I had a background in outdoor pursuits. Uh, I used to be outside in the cold and in the heat, and really that was kind of what drew my interest in it in terms of, you know, what makes people get involved with this and how do we cope with it? And, uh, you know, just purely from a fascination in terms of how I could deal with it myself. And then I, as I was working in the outdoors, I saw a lot of people, you know, struggling with the heat and struggling with the cold, uh, you know, when I was mountaineering and things. So 
that's kind of where it came from. And uh, then I got interested in the physiology and I found that even more fascinating just in terms of how our body works and, you know, how we can respond and adapt to these different so changes. We've come a long way in the Antarctic since Scott and Shackleton. <laughs> well, I think physiologically we probably haven't changed that much, uh, but technologically we've got much more sophisticated equipment and clothing and textiles and, you know, the ability to carry food. load. Oh, the food, well, you know, I think... Um, Sam has got a great example of he's got, you know, really well considered nutrition ration packs. Um, you know, we're looking at having the right percentage of carbohydrates and fats. Uh, we've got questions about um, digestibility. Um, you know, food tolerance is a, is a key as well because trying to consume, you know, seven and a half, eight thousand calories a day is is quite a challenge. You know, and I think Mike Stroud when he when he went across the, the Arctic, um, they brought a lot of they carried a lot of fat. Uh, Mike Stroud and Ralph Fiennes. Um, well, actually, they struggled to, to uh, the palatability was an issue. So now we've got to the position where you know we've got uh, ration packs that have got palatable food, but the, the right uh, combination of fats, carbs, and proteins. And they taste quite good. They do taste well. I think you've got one, so you can. I'm going to. We're going to let you know that's uh, tonight. This evening, is it? Yes, that's the dinner this evening <laughs> when we get home. What sort of food would Scott have taken? I wonder. Oh, good question. Uh, I'm not sure really, but I think the. They were there quite some time, and I think they were probably trying to consume food that was maybe available. They ended up you know. eating their ponies, I think, probably. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. Ponies. yeah, you know, and I think uh, yeah. I think back then there was a lot of concern about proteins and people take high-protein high diets. You know, and I think if you look at the, you know, Inuit tribes, they, they tend to have a high-protein diet because you don't get many vegetables and corns growing in the, in the Arctic. Uh, so, no, you know, so, uh, matter, yeah. yeah, but I think that's probably more of a, uh, an adapt, an, an acclimation issue than a, an adaptation issue. What about the dangers of injury? Obviously, if you're pulling a sled like that, anything can happen. I mean, it's very heavy. You could, uh, uh, you've got to be really careful because there's no one coming to help you, is there? No, there's not. And I think that's the thing with, you know, with, with somebody like Sam, um, we know that load carriage, um, you know, does increase the risk of injury, sure. you know, but, with preparation, proper preparation, and what Sam will have gone through is he will, you know, been skiing. He will start then skiing with some small load, and they will increase to sort of base with, with a lightweight pulk, sure. and then increasing increasing sure. the uh, the overall weight of it. You know, injury is always a a possibility, uh, but you, you know, I don't think you can focus on no. getting injured. You yeah. just got to focus on staying yeah. strong, staying fit, yeah. and hoping it doesn't happen. Well, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, no worries. So if people want to find out more and book, what's the website? Just look for the Google Marjon uh, or marjon.ac.uk. That will take them to there. They can see a list of all of our courses and opportunities that, that they can get involved with. That's M-A-R-J-O-N. So Peter, what did you think of it? Were you freezing cold in there? Well, actually, it wasn't too bad. I mean, they, they jacked the temperature up or rather down to uh, probably about minus 30 with, with wind chill, maybe a little bit more. But um, I had got some pretty efficient clothing on, so it wasn't too bad. You say wind chill. There can't have been any wind in there. Oh, yes, there was, because they put two big fans in there just to make it more uncomfortable. Wow. And they didn't want me to wear my big parka because they wanted me to get cold so that my cognitive abilities would... Um, slow down. I have to say, my cognitive abilities are pretty slow anyway, so they were an awful lot slower by the time I got a bit of cold. I think he said you used 40% more 
carbohydrates in someone young. Is that right? I'm sure that's right. Um, it's certainly it's not a not a game for a, um, uh, an elderly statesman like myself. Unless you want to lose a lot of weight, perhaps, but then you wouldn't be fit enough. No, I think uh, it, I think there are easier ways of losing weight than walking across Antarctica. But uh, it, it was surprising that once I got inside and tried um, uh, putting together the primus stove, it was really difficult because uh, it, it's it's pretty complicated and difficult to do fiddly to do uh, in at room temperature. But once you uh, drop the temperature down by uh, thirty degrees, it slows you down and your your temperament changes. You get more annoyed more quickly with just a fiddly bit. So if you are Sam. He takes it all very quietly, very calmly, because he's been training to do this for months and months. I suppose it's the same as in the heat. Everything's much more of an effort. Yes, but I think it, it, the cold actually slows your brain down, as far as I was concerned. Now, if you want to try this, you really need to be—you need to be someone who lives in the southwest, ideally near Plymouth, or you could get on the train or. Perhaps you fancy a day out or a weekend in Devon and you could go and do this. Yeah, why not? I mean, they, they have all sorts of courses and uh, you can go in the, the cold chamber. It's not a very big room, but it's a, it's a bit like being in a, in a, meat, a meat larder. But uh, it's, uh, it's cold in there. Good. So uh, what do we do about dinner tonight? Well, we've been given a lovely box of expedition rations. rations. Um, so we might start with the chicken in black bean sauce, Sounds and that's um, dried, so you have to add water and heat it up. And then we might have some high-protein nut butter that's chocolate and orange flavour and 568 calories. You have that as a sort of drink, do you? Or I think you can have it as a drink or you can have it as a snack or pudding. Um, and then... There are some energy bars they gave us and a shot of coffee, a single shot of coffee. That's 60 calories. That seems quite high for coffee. And, um, and then for breakfast tomorrow, some high-protein porridge, mixed berry flavor, 454 calories. You, you can follow South Progress on his website, www.frozendagger.co.uk. We wish him well. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. Just a crazy storm